Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Hi guys, uh, welcome back to the newest episode of the Waiting List Podcast. Um, I am joined today by my two co-hosts, Long Long and Daniel. And then um, on the other side of the screen, we have someone who, you know, have been requested many, 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 many times by our listeners throughout almost the two years that we've been doing this podcast. And it's uh, Mr. Roni Madvani. Um, and we're so, so happy to, to have him on with us and welcome on to the podcast, Roni. Thank you so much for inviting me and I'm uh, very humbled to be here. Thank you. Whenever you, you know, thank people for uh, inviting you and you always say uh, you're very humbled and I always just think, well, like you are one of the humblest person that I know, like on Instagram. And, and I just think that, you know, from, I mean, all the way when I was preparing this interview, I was thinking back to how we even met and I remember, and I think I briefly spoke about this on our, um, like one of the few clubhouse chats that we had. I still remember very vividly, um, we we're talking about something I can't remember, but then I was on the flight. And then, you know how in the States, um, there's free Wi-Fi on the flights. And then we were just chatting about nonsense. Like you were telling me about home. And then I was telling you about how I'm here for school. And then the flight was about like two and a half hours. And then we just ended up chatting throughout the entire flight. And I think that was one of the longest conversations I had on Instagram with like another watch person before I even like was a watch person. So thank you. I just wanted to take this moment and kind of like improvise um, a thank you to you kind of just thank you for being there for me at the beginning of this. And when I was exploring, you know, how to be more involved within the community and thank you for showing me your, you know, kindness and and, and education. Um, and I'm just so glad to, to call you a friend and mentor. Yeah, thank you for those kind words. And I'm, I'm glad we're part of a community now. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. For sure. Jack, if Roni was like one of the first collectors you uh, spoke to, you really did start at the deep end then. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing Roni on Talking Watches. And before he blew me away with the, the spread, right, I was like, wow, he is a proper gentleman, the way he speaks. Yeah. He just blew me away with the language he was yeah, using. So yeah, and people say, I'm based in Shanghai, and people say, I'm in Shanghai, and think I'm a gentleman. I was like, <laughs> just because I can speak <laughs> some British English. But yeah, I, I feel embarrassed in a way. Yeah. Well, um, let's get on to the interview. Um, so for the first question, which is, I mean, I, I feel like, it's, it doesn't really make sense to ask this, but then just in case people who are listening who don't already know who you are, can you give us like a very quick rundown of, you know, where you were born and, and grew up and where you're currently based? Okay, um, very quickly. I'm a third generation Ugandan Asian. So my grandfather went to Uganda, which is in East Africa um, at the turn of the last century. Uh, we, we were there for hundred years. And again, the quick education of the country uh, we had a dictator who came to power in 1972, and he woke up to a dream saying, well, if you're not uh, an indigenous Ugandan, I, uh, you know, you're not a black Ugandan, uh, you shouldn't be there, uh, and you have 90 days to leave. So all 70,000 of us had to leave in 90 days, um, and we left and lived in exile. Uh, so I'm sure all of you have come across Ugandan nations. Uh, most of them fled uh, to the UK, to Canada, to the United States, very, very few to India. Uh, and so I, during that time, I was eight when we were thrown out. Um, I went to school in the UK. Uh, I went to university, to the London School of Economics. Um, I was then to my second year, and then sort of my mom started selling off her jewellery uh, to pay for my fees. And that's when I realised uh, it's time to go back and earn some money. It's not right. Uh, she's doing that. And that, I, I brought that up, actually, because a lot of people think I'm a bit of a Scrooge when I buy watches and I, <laughs> and I negotiate the prices. But I think, you, you know, one's past always comes into one's thinking. 
Mm. And, and that's all at the back of my mind, actually. Um, so I went back to Uganda. This is at a time when the country had been through 10 years of war. A million people had been killed out of a population of 8 million. It was really tough times. And there was a government change every six months. I started my own business. My family hadn't gone back. Um, and uh, I was shot and I've been wounded. My two friends in the car, they were killed. So I said, well, that was uh, out there. So I came back and finished my last year at the LSE um, over two years. And then I went back again when things were a bit better after that two years. So I've been there. Uh, I joined the family business after that. Uh, we used to uh, have we have several sort of businesses, and I looked after the brewery too. We sold it to uh, South African Breweries, which is now part of Anheuser Busch. They're the largest brewer in the world. Um, but I I still live there, but less and less so. But I travel, so I basically travel, and I um, between Uganda, um, the states. Um, I go to India because we have hotels there. So it's, I live in a suitcase. But obviously during COVID, I got stuck for a couple of years and probably too rather too long. I got used to being stuck in London, but uh, it's back to usual now. So yeah. that's the sort of background. Right. So you're bi- now based in London and then, you know. Uh, in Uganda, I still, Uganda's home. So it's traveling out of Uganda. But yeah, but during but COVID. You're I in London uh, right now. Yes. Right. Indeed. And then, um, like you said, you know, haven't, you haven't been really traveling due to COVID. And I remember having conversations with you um, about, you know, how, how much you want to travel. But then um, I think you, you, you said you, you know, uh, caught COVID actually. And that was kind of like. I got, I got COVID and I've got what they call long COVID, which is a whole blur anyway in the medical right. profession. But my, my symptoms are I struggle with breathing. Um, so the confidence kind of goes especially when you travel and, and unfortunately and sadly in Uganda medical facilities are, are dismal um, yeah. even before COVID you know I had my people of my uh, staff and stuff who passed away doing a road journey and there's no oxygen oh, in the nearest wow. hospital so it's not the place to be uh, yeah. if you're sick so that, that, I think it did a wobbly on my confidence um, to travel as much but uh, you know hopefully that'll soon pick up and and in terms of long covid and different people seem to have different and they're now researching it before every time i went to see a doctor they kept saying well you're fine and i said no i'm not fine i can't <laughs> breathe and uh, <laughs> but now there's evidence that you know, we're not all nut cases uh, who do have it mm-hmm. uh, it mm-hmm. just doesn't come up on the usual scans and stuff but anyway, that's enough boring medical stuff <laughs> but 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 the reason why i brought it up is because you just returned from a very exciting trip to uh to switzerland to geneva and which is watches and wonders and and you did us you know the the favor of uh storing um watches and the events and then you're showcasing you know photos of uh, other watch pals and then just you kind of just enjoying everything so can you um tell us yeah like how how was that you know you went obviously with Cartier can you tell us a little bit about that overall experience I'm not sure if it's or if it's like your first time there or yeah um, so this, I was invited very, very kindly by Katya, and I'm very thankful. I'd like to acknowledge that. This is actually the second trip uh, where I was taken on the dog and pony show by Cartier. Uh, the first one being in, I think it was 2009. Uh, but that time they rolled out the red carpet and it was like by their private jet and stuff. This time it was pay as you go. And they paid for my accommodation. I'm not moaning or bitching, but I'm just saying uh, yeah. it was different. To the first time and this time but having said that it was a wonderful experience um i think to see the sort of the trade show watches and wonders i mean it was kind of a better version than your american style watch dealers show mm. i mean obviously you have all the big brands spending lots of money and stuff um i the cartier team were wonderful to see all their stuff i mean i did a bit of a walkies in the time i was around i just found that you know, if you aren't someone they know, you go as a mortal and stuff. Mm. Um, I found a bit of arrogance um, with a lot of the brands and really? stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't see. I come from a part of the world. You don't judge people by how they look. I mean, I have people who may look scruffy, but they'll whack on on the on my desk uh, a dirty mm. bag with a million dollars, and they're my customers. I, whether it's a million or five dollars, it doesn't matter. You don't judge people by how they look so I think in this world of 
uh, watches, at least at trade end. It's probably, I don't, I don't know. But I mean, that's one thing I didn't really like. And I, I always speak my words. And I think I had a bit mm. of a bit and a rant about a couple of the brands. Um, and I got a reaction as well from them. But <laughs> if someone's not paying for my lunch, I think I'm entitled to say what I want, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just okay. So enough of the negative. So in terms of the <laughs> positive, so that the, the show itself was yeah okay. They had all the new watches, and we'll, we can talk about them mm-hmm. and stuff. But um, the highlights of the trip were for me. Um, they organised a helicopter trip, uh, which yeah. was a cool highlight. <laughs> I'm not used to going by helicopter and all that. Um, to to the manufacturer and next to the manufacturer, they have one of these old Swiss farmhouses, which they've converted into the Metier d'Art. Mm. where they make the uh, uh, jewellery piece, watches, not jewellery, but the watch watches that are em- embellished with jewels and the sort of uh, watches which have decorative, uh, decorated like enamelling and stuff. So that was actually wonderful. And there was, I think, two, three aspects there. One was to see how the process of enamelling, how cloisonné enamelling is done, regular enamelling, and, and just, you know, how... Um, you know, from the design for the conception to the design to how, you know, individual people put together a timepiece and, and to actually meet some of those individuals. So for, I think, you know, in a lot of instances, we all wear watches, but there's no personification of who, what went into that watch on your wrist or who made it. And it's wonderful when you do meet, um, you know, someone who's put together the timepiece on your watch. Um, it's strange. So on, on, I don't know if I should say this, but anyway, part of the other guests who flew on the helicopter was this lovely couple from Canada. And the husband had a watch made by Cartier, I think, from five, six years ago. And the lady who was the PR person at the, met, uh, at the uh, Metier was her husband. She met her husband at Cartier, and he was the engineer who designed this man's watch. Um, so when she saw it, she got quite excited, said, oh, my husband, you know, made that watch on your wrist. Um, he was from uh, North America, but he said, he didn't, I mean, I, I'd be sort of chuffed to know, oh, my God, there's mm. the wife of the man who made the watch. <laughs> but I think the reaction wasn't that, was not as uh, euphoric as <laughs> it should have been. Anyway, well, it's course, great it that she even fun. noticed, like, a watch that yeah, I mean, right? but all us watch people notice isn't it i mean the first thing i look at before shoes for men is <laughs> on their wrist <laughs> yeah. I, think we're, I think we're trained to do that okay so enough sort of waffling so so the 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 processes and meeting the people was was wonderful um and then they did this great little thing of uh, actual doing some enameling uh, that was really cool um and i did my bit and stuff was, was that your first cool. time yeah, I mean, you don't normally go in enamel tiles. And, well, <laughs> <laughs> and certainly not in Uganda. But yeah, uh, it was really, it, it was fun. I mean, it was interesting to see. I mean, I made a fool of myself and it was just one blurb. Um, and then I just pointed dots around the dial and after it went in the oven at 800 degrees or whatever it was, it came out and looked cool. And it, was, you know, it sits on my study with them. And then they had an official photographer who came rather than my phone. Um, so that was, and we and, and we got a white um, uh, lab coat to wear with Carter. So that that was all cool. Um, the other sort of experiences, there was two others I, I would like to mention. So one of the things they organised was for the team, the marketing team, and the ones who deal with the custom uh, Cartier watches. They actually, I had I got to sit with them and the boss of Cartier London. Uh, and just convey some of the issues, which I know a lot of my friends and fellow collectors um, have highlighted. For example, mm. the, the, the absence of a policy when it comes to custom pieces, you know, we're told one thing, then between ourselves and on Instagram, we see another thing, for example, the quantities. And, and when you're putting your hard-earned money to get something which is very, very special, it, it, you don't want to be learned subsequently, oh, there's going to be, you're first told there's 10 of them, and then you're told there's 75 of them, or, mm. you know, this, this will change, and that will change. So uh, the message was that, look, um, manage the expectations of your customers. This is what I said to them. Don't, it's very easy. You're, you're on a high now due to customers appreciating what you do, but it's very easy to destroy that. And it's important to be clear-cut and transparent with your customers and collectors. 
That was one message. Uh, the second message was, look, it's wonderful to churn out pieces from the past. And for, for I, as I see it, Cartier is a design house, be it jewelry or watches, and they have a wonderful heritage. So what they've done is from being in the woods producing big, ugly drug dealer kind of watches, they've gone back <laughs> to producing, uh, you know, they've gone back to their heritage, so which is great stuff. But you can't just do that. I mean, uh, we've seen probably five versions of the asymmetric. Mm. You keep talking, mm, yeah. yeah. And you start yeah. getting a bit aware and say, "Oh, really? Uh, yeah. That's getting boring now." Uh, so I said, "Look, you've got to uh, in between use. Cut, let's see some. You know, let's have the creative juices flowing. That's what the brand's known for." Uh, so there was a kind of a nod towards that. Of course, you know. Oh, by the way, this is a waiver. This is all my interpretation of what I said and what. I know what I said, but, but my interpretation of what they uh, took from me. So I don't want to say them to China, well, we never said this. So I, this is how I understood it. So it's important to just clarify that. So that, that was in terms, and it, it was really, it was quite, for me, I, I think, again, I was humbled that, you know, there you have the whole design team of Cartier sitting and listening for an hour and a half or whatever to me waffle on. Uh, that was cool. Um, and, 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 you know, and to listen on, not just go, and I felt it wasn't going in one ear and coming out the other because they had to sort of, you know, entertain me or pass time or whatever. But, but I, I, I felt that it was a good sort of good exchange of views. And, you know, I went, I went to that thing saying, oh, why can't they do exclusivity? And, I, and I, I've left understanding that, look, it's not possible for a brand, if you have, for example, a crash, how can it possibly be exclusive just because I have a black dial uh, one with white letters? That can't be exclusive to me. You know, this, the crash is a generic watch. The, th the variables in a custom would be the dial color, the crown, or the color of the numerals. Or if you're fortunate and blessed, you'd like you're like Wei, you've got a Illuminous uh, numbers. But, but as soon as he put that up, I think that 5,000 requests were Illuminous numbers. But, you know, it, 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 so you, you've got to appreciate where they're coming from. And it's the same um, when, when you design a watch. There's no point coming up with crazy things because then that's, if it's not within the DNA of the brand, they're unlikely to do it. And it's a waste of your time and the sales staff at your boutique or wherever you're engaging to give, to say, oh, I want, you know, stars with marshmallows on the dial because they ain't going to do it you know you've got to do your homework part of doing a custom piece is to do your research and find out about the brand what's in its heritage and come up with a request that they would consider mm. um so that, that's because that's another question i do people ask well, what's the process mm. um and, uh, and then again that goes back to my original where i started as requesting for a policy guideline is it that you've got to have spent you know 10 watches mm. I bought 10 watches in the last 10 years, or is it, you know, you've got to tell what your great grandfather owned 400 Cartiers. I don't know. What, what, what is it? We, no one knows. I think. Um, That's interesting because that was actually one of my questions. That like, was one what of is, the, yeah, yeah. What is the process? Because like, clearly Roni, you have the pieces. Um, but okay. then let, let, let me, let me just talk about that. I mean, the process is, is simple is that you submit, um, f for a particular model, which they're agreeable to do a custom piece. So at the moment, it can be anything, I guess, whatever they have. But again, they themselves aren't clear. You can go to one region, they'll tell you one thing. Another region will tell you something ah, else. So, okay. so w w whatever it is, like crashes, I've heard it's 75 a year custom. Uh, it's only obviously white gold. They will not do custom yellow gold pieces because the yellow gold is intrinsic owned in their mind into to the heritage of the crash which must emanate from London because London was the originator of it um, but again there's no clear-cut sort of manual and stuff so going back to the process is that uh, you put in your application uh, for it and giving your sketch they'll come back with a rendition now they've been overwhelmed with a request so it's long but originally it was like two to three months for them to come back with the first uh, rendition if they approve it otherwise they'll say no go back to square one go to jail kind of thing um, <laughs> so they'll come back with the rendition you sign off or make changes and then uh, you put down a 40 percent deposit you have three rounds of doing this again this is not clear is it three rounds is it two but mm -hmm. from what i know it's three rounds if if it's more than three rounds and you're still not there in terms of an agreeable 
uh, design that's agreeable to Cartier and yourself, then you go back to square one and apply again, by which time we'll <laughs> oh. probably block you. I have a question. <laughs> okay, so if you ran Cartier and uh, you could decide who gets the watches, who would you want the watches to go to? Are you deciding based on like how much you spend overall with the brand in terms of jewelry and watches? Or do you think it should just be a case by like, case by case basis? Like how much does this person like watches? Well, I, I think it's a tough call. I mean, if you look at other brands, what is their requirement? You know, like it, it's a tough one. I mean, I think the, if you had to sum it up in one way, it's, it's, I think it should be how much passion one demonstrates for the brand. Now, uh, is not everyone has the means to own two watches or ten watches or fifty watches. You know, everyone's different, and you you can only do so. How do you measure the passion of an individual? Is it looking at their Instagram, or is it? I mean, are you going to interview them? I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, and it's a tough. It's a, It's really a tough call. So I think it should be. I, I don't. I'll never work for. I, I, I don't think I'll get a job at Cartier, but. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, that's where you started off, Taylor. But I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I, and I think these guys seriously have a big job. I remember talking mm. to uh, someone at, at Paddock in London, and you know, I said, "Well, it must be wonderful that you don't really have to make any efforts. You have lines of people waiting." He said, "Actually, it's not really. It's actually the worst thing because yes. when you know when you have overwhelming demand, and you have to say no to probably." 95% of the people, every single one of those is going to be disappointed. How do you manage people's you know, expectations in terms of that disappointment? It, it's really a difficult job. So I, I don't know what the answer is. I'm, I mm -hmm. think one has to be fair. I think there has to, I mean, for a, as a collector, I, I don't think it's right that someone who's never collected it, collected a particular brand, and he, a lot of people want crashes because they've seen the premium that mm -hmm. it's fetched, fetched at auction. So, you know, I've had many people say, oh, you know, we'd love a crash. Can you help us get one? I don't see why someone, and if you look at the numbers, so out of the original 67 London crashes, which were issued in yellow gold, I, I've seen, I think, three have come back on the market. No, and more than not, that. More than that. Well, I'm sure not, this is into auction and known what's gone mm. behind the scenes. So that, that's not a good measure. And that's, a, that's actually a measure of bad selection of who mm -hmm. uh who got those watches i think isn't it mm -hmm. and you look at i've been dreaming of that enamel world i have one i'm not being greedy but uh, I, i'd like a yellow gold one and i've had my name for 10 years but you you look on corona 24 and there's probably i don't know it's mm. 50 of them there. Mm -hmm. yeah it's not every every auction has them so are, are they giving them all to the wrong people what is it i mean i wear mine on safari Oh, in a hot mm -hmm. air balloon in Africa, I, you know, I've, I do wear mine, and I always mm -hmm, joke, mm -hmm. uh, theory. Look, I'm wearing my watch. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's not like I'm not just sitting in the safe. <laughs> I'm going to flip it. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I think uh, I personally mm -hmm. think that there must be a selection of people that are getting allocated pieces because of the buying power, and those people are actually treating it like a business anyway. So they're doing the math on I buy the stock that you need to shift. Um, in place of getting those hot pieces that I can later then flip and make my money back. Because I, I that's what know. the brands do okay, as well. well, don't the, they? The, well maybe. But okay, anyway, the, the other third sort of issue, not issue, the third experience was that they'd arranged at the top of their Geneva boutique to take out a collection uh, of their vintage wristwatches. And it was a real, that was, I think, the best part of the trip for me because to touch and feel, you could, t you know, to hold and see you know the pebble you could see the original london crash uh, and stuff and they also had uh, a little presentation on the mystery clocks which was lovely and they took out three of those clocks but to see the wristwatches which is you know that crowned the whole trip um so that was wonderful um we were allowed to take pictures um but we were told we can't post them but when i came back to london i saw about three people posting <laughs> I don't know if they'll be excommunicated, but I didn't have the balls to do that. Uh, and then out of respect, because I said I will not, I, I will not do that. So that so was wonderful. You can send it privately to us. <laughs> uh, and, and and risk my relationship. Uh, but anyway, so, so it, it, all in all, it was a, a really great trip. Sure. And I'm again, I'm thankful to Cartier for all those 
inside. I, I, the, the actual what's it called, watches and wonders. Okay, fine, but mm. but the other thing. Yeah, were, you were there with that. Cartier. You were there with the uh, the team that you were familiar with, and 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 that's yeah, and then yeah, yeah, and the lady who sort of has been instrumental in putting my collection with Philippa in London. She was there with us. Um, and great it was all everything was fabulously all absolutely no I could find no fault and I'm someone who moans all the time about everything mm. but it's, uh, it was good, well organized and stuff mm, for sure um I guess you know while you were saying that I just had one thing I wanted to say before we move on to the second question which is you know now First of all, I completely agree with what you said. I don't have the relationship. I mean, I, I know Philippa, but we've never met, right? Like, I don't have the relationship with um, the team at Cartier like you do, but I think it's 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 great and it's very professional of them. And they should be listening to collectors like you who've had such a long relationship with the brand and clearly, you know, has... Um, uh, your own place in the collecting community. So when someone like you tell them, and I think I remember seeing one of your posts and I couldn't agree more. I think you posted a photo of your platinum centre, and then off the top of my head, I can't remember the exact wording, but you're like, you said, well, uh, isn't it funny that like a regular production platinum centre now is considered more rare because there's so many unique executions of the watch. Uh, that was made in such a short amount of time. So what, how much do you, does Cartier or like a brand think of their term exclusivity when they're just basically- yeah, absolutely. I, I posted that two, a week before going to, and I thought my invitation would be canceled actually, but it did cause <laughs> a bit of a rumpus, but, but it opened eyes because I think that got them to say, let's meet this guy it's too much. Yeah. Uh, in, in Geneva. And, 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 and I think, you know, that's why I'm saying that if, if, if one has to say something, it's important to, to speak out and say it. I mean, I, I, I've done lots of other pieces. I can't, you know, so I said, well, I want to enjoy them. And said, well, the, the answer has been, well, don't wear, if you don't, if you want, if others see it and they come with the same request or you post on something and they come, we won't be able to deny them making that. So I said, well, what do I do with the watches, lovely watches you've made? Uh, and these are not just your standard, you know, ones with the dials where change colors. So they said, well, sit at home and enjoy them. So <laughs> I think I'll have to just sit at home and enjoy the watch, which is, I think, sad. And I, I, I do find that annoying. Yeah, but, no, I, I, I get what you mean. Fine, right? It's okay. Yeah, I think, I think they need to take it down a notch. I think... Let's just speak the blatantly like obvious truth here, which is basically, you know, for a long time, Cartier watches weren't being very appreciated, right? And it was only the last two or three years where, well, really like last 18 months since the crash auction results, did people start realizing um, just how great the design aspect is with these watches. I mean, when I when we first spoke, like I was asking you about questions about the crash, and it seemed like there were still availabilities with the original London crash, and nobody really even knew or. Yeah, I remember there was yeah, a like, four untold, and then everyone said, "I said I'll introduce you to Philip. Send her an email and take it." Yeah, uh, and, and that was and that was the most normal thing. Like that was the most straightforward process. I really liked the watch. They ended up having to, you know, still be taking orders. I emailed her and I was able to get on the list and they were still taking orders back then because the 67 weren't sold out yet. And, and all of a sudden, like within the last 18 months, it kind of just blew up and everyone now kind of want it. And then I think from a brand perspective, again, I completely agree with what you said. It's the hardest thing to turn people away, but also I think it's the brand's the brand's role and they should do their part in, you know, looking at the person who's requesting it and seeing like, do you really want it? Or do you want to be one of the three who, you know, get the watch and just flip it immediately? And I'd I say it's a tough call, but you know, that's part of their marketing a brand. Um, yeah. Yeah. Part of it. For sure. And, so and I think, I think, you know, what social media and the internet has done is it's made customers, to, uh, A, it's made customers very, uh, savvy in terms of knowledge yeah. you can't hoodwink them anymore no. um, so that's number one and I think even the brands if they wait you know wake up to that and use social media you can do your homework on people yeah I know a lot of brands you know they're researching auctions to see serial numbers and who is it who flipped the watch we mm -hmm. gave them so they can do it if they want to 
in the same way if someone comes to buy something from you you know you can do your homework and see is this someone who's passionate or is it is he a flipper I mean, it's everything's possible mm-hmm. um but it, as, as 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 custodians of the brand that's their that's their job to do it. and yes it will result in disappointment for some customers or some uh, alleged customers but that's the cost of doing it i think mm-hmm. if you want to preserve your brand integrity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure for sure um i want to move on to the next question which you know, you've kind of become synonymous with uh, interestingly designed case shapes uh, when it comes to, you know, wristwatches. And, uh, you know, very famously, your, your Hodinki episode or, yeah, Hodinki uh, video. And I just wanted to ask you, like, what attracts you to these watches? Because I know you look at them from a very design-oriented perspective. Um, so, like, what was the original piece, if you can remember, that was, like, oh, wow, I need that. Like, that is something new that I haven't seen yet. And that piece kind of started this whole lineup of you being kind of just in the hunt for these interestingly shaped uh, case watches. Sure, I, I, I don't think from day one it was, oh, I, I like interesting shaped watches. But I mean, if it was a choice between a regular round watch and a funny shaped one, by default and from within, I would choose the funny shaped one because mm-hmm. I think if you scratch below the surface, it's probably an interest in the arts and the un, you know in the arts really. And so, and I and I see a, a wristwatch is almost like an artistic rendition of something on your wrist that you can walk around with. Um, you know, you can't put a painting on your forehead or something, but you know, a wristwatch is there and it's a piece of art. That's I think that's the bottom line. Um, in terms of when did it start, I mean, as I said, from day one of getting a watch, it's not not obviously not when I was 15 or something, but from yeah. 18 or so, when you sort of start developing awareness, it, it sort of, you know, grew from that. Um, and, you know, I'd buy watches on eBay, uh, Lacoutre watches for $200, $300, and they'd make great shaped watches, Hamiltons and stuff. And I always tell people to look. You don't have to spend tons of money to get into the passion. Uh, we all started somewhere, and mm-hmm. it's a good idea. And, and in fact, it's probably a good idea not to spend too much to start with. I had a young kid yesterday who sent me a private well, I'm, you know, It's my 18th birthday. Uh, and what watch do you recommend? I said, to be honest with you, I'd say don't buy a watch because at that stage in your life, you should be thinking of saving money to get your own apartment or something. I said, I know you don't want to hear me, but. That's the truth. And then he came back and said, you're right. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> and I say, if, if, you, if someone's gifting it to you, fine, then it's okay. But if you're saving your hard-earned money at 18 to buy a watch, that's dumb. You know, <laughs> watches will always be there. You know, you can mm. buy them later. It's not a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think uh, from, oh, yeah, sure, Dan, go ahead. Oh, I just read an article that you have a, uh, it was about Gilbert Albert, and it seemed that you had a very strong affection for this uh, designer who, for those I don't know, designed a lot, uh, designed a few pieces for Patek in the 1950s, very strongly shaped, quirky designed watches that went away from their original design language. Um, why out of this watch designer, what makes him so special in your mind? Yeah, it was seeing an old Antiquorum uh, catalogue it was called Fieldman Habsburg, actually, from 1999. And there was one of these Paraphilippe watches, and that stuck to my mind and did some homework. There was no internet then, certainly no internet in Africa. But anyway, when, and I you know, wouldn't even dream of owning a Paraphilippe then, but 10 years later, whenever it was, um, you know, like it, it sort of, I did my homework. And, and strangely enough, the first paddock I bought, uh, which was from, uh, it was a, a, was that, um, and it was oh, an Italian bigger. Yeah. Uh, actually, no, sorry, I like, I forget it, I'm getting old. So the first one was uh, just a normal Calatrava with a spider's right. dial. It was, I think, about $3,000 or something. I bought it in the States. Um, and then this one was the first, the, the, the Gilbert Bear was the, sec- the first sort of proper sort of paddock, I'd say. Um, yeah. And it was an Italian dealer, Alex Ciani. He's yeah. probably, I think, one of the most knowledgeable, trustworthy dealers and a, a true gentleman. Um, so he, he, he gave that to me. And of course, he came with the watch rolls with lots. And when you see all that, and he had a jumper, the 3969, 
uh, for the 150 and, and he had that. And he says, well, if you like that as well, keep that. I said, I don't have the money to pay for, you know, two, I just saved up enough. He said, no, 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 you, you, you know, you can just keep, keep it and pay for it. And this is before Google and you could Google someone and find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and stuff. So the fact he trusted me and stuff, uh, and a lot of Indian jewelers, family jewels, they'll say, well, if you like this jewelry, keep it and you can pay for it later kind of thing. But in, in Europe, <laughs> it's not heard of but yeah i was gonna say that doesn't happen to yeah. me <laughs> no but but alex did it and I, I always remind him what 40 years later do you remember you did that for me um so that was that was cool i always remember him for that yeah and yeah. i think it's great that when you finally met jabelle and you got him to sign I, I didn't i didn't actually meet him so i did oh. my hounding um how, i wrote how to did him. he sign it then so i wrote to him and uh said look i have a few of your watches and would you mind signing on the extracts or one had the original so of course i got back the sort of swiss reply saying well we'll have to get permission from uh Pere philippe i felt saying well it's my certificate it's my watch <laughs> what's it got to do with them but anyway they did eventually so after a long six eight months uh i got <laughs> to my, get a signature my certificates uh, signed it and he so sadly the, he passed away mm. i think it was two years ago yeah so was, it's lovely to have you know the certificates the archives rather are signed by him that's a cool thing and i kept the visiting card and the letters the exchange of letters it wow. just makes a nice story yeah. yeah that's what makes collecting huh you don't really hear stories like this these days absolutely actually i heard another story well i, I read another story about uh certain watches being found in a wall uh, i think we all have this obsession that uh, we want something straight from the original owner, but uh, and we all dream about it. So this was a dealer who said uh, it was a universal. So it was from 19, it was a, a pre-war universal. Um, it's just a, it, but it had a very uh, austere sort of dial and it was in mint condition with the original tags and stuff. And it was found I think, in Hamburg or Berlin hidden away. So you always think, well, what, you know, must be in someone who the war, you mm. know, the war was happening, what yeah. happened, and they put it into the house. For, I, I don't know. It's uh, something for the imagination. Yeah. Mm. I wanted to ask you, and again, like for those who are. There's another, another story. Like, actually, this is a recent one. Um, so yeah. I have this uh, Vacheron uh, cornucopia, which is this sort of, it's quite a, from the 50s, uh, with these lugs on either end. And on the back is this inscription, Dolly and the year 1954 and the month and i always thought it's a men's watch even then why would someone why would it be called dolly i mean it's it's and i posted it uh with on the back with this and sure enough someone in new york there's this gentleman who's probably the most sort of expert on uh cartier vintage cartier jewelry and so i should mention his uh name i saved it. i know his name but his instagram i can never remember mm. um and, and, and basically he came back, he says, well, actually, um, I know who that Dolly was. Uh, he was a, an Austrian Jewish jeweler who, when the Nazis took over in Austria, he fled to America uh, and his name was Adolf. Um, and of course, in America during the war, it wasn't a good idea to be called Adolf. And he, he was known apparently within the Jewish American community. His name was Dolly and he worked on 47th Street and that was his watch. So that solved my mystery. And it makes that watch even more wow. uh, fascinating That's for me. I hope so that happens to me, like once in this <laughs> Those watch are the kind of journey. stories that, uh, you know, I, I, I love to hear about. And stuff. So, so I'm just looking for his account. Anyway, it'll come up. I'll, I'll look for it. And, sorry. Sure. No, I think that's like what are the chances of that happening right and then like well i think that this is where instagram's amazing i mean i, I found um there's so many stories like each watch has a story of my home talk to the cows come home um but uh, there was another i found the first waterproof cartier from 19 it's from the early 20s um and it so it had an inscription on the back and the dealer sold it. He had a picture of the extract from the archives, the Cartier archives, they're giving the case number and the movement number. And it was everything ticked. And the inscription was, um, and it was, a, it was a soldier who fought in the American Expeditionary War in 1917. He, the Americans joined in 1916. 
So he must have gone to France then, and he must have bought the watch at the end of the war. I think it was 1919, uh, before he came back to America, and he gifted it to his son-in-law. But all the family have passed away since. And I got Charlie uh, books on time. Yeah. Uh, so he did the research. He's amazing. So we all talk to each other. So I don't know how he does it. So he found the family in, I don't know which state in America, and they didn't exist anymore uh, and stuff. So it, it was a wonderful watch to have, you know, and the story of the American servicemen buying, going to France to fight and then buying this watch and taking it back to America and gifting it to his son-in-law. Uh, so I did buy it, but unfortunately things didn't stack up because when I was, again, doing my Instagram rounds, I found that same watch with another dealer, a small-time dealer, <laughs> But there was a difference in the dial. It didn't, at that time, it didn't have Cartier written on it, called it the movement. Right. So I went, so I went back to the one I bought from and said, look, I'm not happy because it's not the same. Uh, the dial's been, Cartier's been added subsequently. Um, right, right. I, I, I passed on that. I, I not passed, I returned it and got my money back. But, but right. there, there's, this is just an example of, with a bit of homework uh, and, to, you know, you can almost bring watches back to life again and and being having access to social media and stuff mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i wanted to ask a question which is you know again for uh, people who are listening to this is kind of like a feast for the years if you're a collector right because this is very much collector <laughs> talk um you know over the more than three decades that you've been collecting um obviously you've you know had come across many many amazing watches but are there any regrets that oh of course we all have them i mean are there times when I, um were there times when i didn't have enough money and you know i had oh, there's regrets like oh you saw something but you never could afford it so that's that's not a real regret because we all dream <laughs> and that's good to dream so, but if it was something that you could have possibly you could have afforded if you didn't eat for a year or something that's <laughs> i think um, does it regret and uh if you uh you know if you sold it and then have regrets so i i've there's so many pieces and i think each one of us will have a, a story there was a i remember i had a lovely stainless steel rolex prince from 1930 as a jump power um i, I part exchange it for a paddock which i didn't have the money to buy the paddock and I was, so i sold it um, and then I, it, it was even featured in these lovely Italian coffee table books on Rolexes. It was on page three. So it was a real, you know, piece to brag about. Um, and then I found it. It was in Japan. For, it was sold for thrice what I did. Uh, I saw that. Um, there's many, in terms of not buying, I remember seeing an enamel dial, a cloisonne enamel of Asheron, uh with the, the Starbucks logo. I think it's Melanusa in Greek mythology. The lady, the mermaid. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was that. There was a dial, and it was offered by this French dealer who stayed in Hong Kong. He was, I think, he was married to a Chinese lady, and I, it was at that time about thirty thousand dollars. It was a lot of money, and I hummed and horned, didn't buy it from him. He consigned it uh, to Bonhams, and it was sold for fifty-five and stuff. But I really regret that. Was that something which I always think maybe the CEO of Starbucks has it or something? But <laughs> you, you know, so all these kind of things you you'll never if you don't take the opportunity that one time mm. uh you another one stopping my head is i remember i bought a paddock i saw it and it had these initials h uh his imperial majesty him uh and uh, it had a logo on the back and i recognized it was Haley selassie of uh, ethiopia and it was an italian dealer so basically Haley selassie had a ethiopian pilot and he gifted him that paddock philippe um and uh you know that it became the original box and everything and I, I kicked myself for that i sold it for nothing um and i don't know why i sold it because it was a, it was just a boring Cal calatrava i never wore it and i said well, what am i going to do but suddenly now watches with inscriptions and that would be worth i don't know what forget the worth but to have you know to have some passed through your hands that was a shame mm -hmm. and what's See, what's the there's a point actually I just want to bring back actually, which is the engravings. You know, a lot of collectors when they uh, when they look at watches, <clears throat> any inscription, they will not consider those watches, right? They want it clean. They don't want anything like that. What's your interpretation? Obviously, you think it's okay, right? Well, it's changed. When I first started, I wouldn't want that either. But I think now, it if it's a vintage watch, that's part of it. I mean, someone asked me, well, where 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 is it acceptable? Where I mean, if it's a modern piece with an engraving, I'd, and you can buy many of the same watch. 
well, why wouldn't you just get one without the inscription? But if it's something that's quite rare and difficult to find, or even possibly unique, you know, if you you take it because you're not going to see that again. Uh, I've just got a, a couple of watches. They all have inscriptions. So it'll be homework to do uh, who they were and stuff, but uh, it's fine. And I think that adds to the beauty of the watch to me. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the watch is speaking out to you, if I don't sound too nutty. Mm-hmm. No, well, you have that combination of the artistic side, which you clearly value, but then that his- historical side even more yeah, because these pieces made, are made in history. Yeah, yeah, and they're part of history, and they're, they're, they're almost like if they could talk, imagine what they do. Yeah. Actually, that leads very nicely to my next question, which is if your watches could talk, what would they say about you, do you think? Leave us alone, you madman. <laughs> 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 I think they would say, oh, "Thank you for putting me with such esteemed company, you know, with all the other watches." <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. How many? How okay? How many pieces do you reckon you have currently? <laughs> I always well, there's two, I have two answers. Not enough, and I'll tell you a story. When I so from Uganda, when we were thrown out, I was put in boarding school in England. Mm-hmm. And you sit on these long tables where you have to talk to your houseman. I wasn't familiar with what English customs were. So if you sit at the end, the housemaster is the one who's serving you the food. Yes. And what do you do talking to him for that 20 minutes? You know, you <laughs> sort of so, so I asked him, well, uh, you know, how much do you earn? I was eight years old from Africa. He turned around, the, he turned around and said, well, I didn't ask you how many wives your father has. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer you're looking for. I wanted to ask, which is like, I mean, I I see on your Instagram um, that your your daughter is also, you know, uh, just had her birthday recently. And then you gave her a very nice watch on a um, very nice strap. Um, Sorry, that's my cat. Um, And then I, I just wanted to ask, like, uh, what does she think about your your this hobby of yours? I mean, she obviously grew up with it, right? Like, at oh, what yeah. point? Did I, it... I don't think she's been sort of keen. She has one watch. She likes the Vacheron Mercator, um, but she's not really keen on what. It's just recently, in the last six months, uh, suddenly there's been some kind of an awakening. I don't know what the reason is. <laughs> but she's always. I, mean, I don't even know, you know, where my watches are. Sometimes I live in different places. <laughs> Uh, sometimes I hide them in pockets of shirts and I can't find them and I sort of panic, you know, if it goes to the dry cleaners. So she's mm. been urging me to sort of try and catalogue it um, and put, you know, just write down everything. So I, I know in top of my mind, but if, uh, if something happened, I don't, I think everyone would struggle to find out anything. Mm. Just, yeah. have, have but been... you are in the middle of cataloging, right? Because I, uh, I've seen that. You... I, I, I've started when she's pushed me I sit down and write down I said well, okay I'll do it but I, I, I still I left school typing with one finger so everything takes ages for me <laughs> so if you want me to do it you sit and I'll, and I'll tell you which year it was made and what the that, that is a, a great excuse um, I should use that I left school <laughs> learning to type with one finger <laughs> right yeah did you want to ask Dan yeah I just wanted to ask is there any have there been any periods of stagnation in your watch collecting where you were trying to, there was a period of time where you fell out of love with it and then looking, maybe looking for a new direction or anything like that? Well, I think, uh, no, not, not in terms of the passion for it, but in terms of acquiring, yes, because that it's, it all boils down to your means and not everyone's earnings and means are constant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what, I've know, what I know for sure is that over time, you want your greed uh, sort of increases and you want more and more expensive things and mm-hmm. uh, you then you just I've reached to say so you know I can't afford the stuff so I've, you know I've been buying other brands uh, example being you know three four years ago I just found there wasn't Paddy Philippe a there was nothing available quality was not available and more importantly the price was expensive so I looked into vintage Audemars uh, and, and they're wonderful watches you could buy for three thousand dollars, three and a half thousand. So I went on a bit of a mad spree uh, buying those. Uh, those same watches have now doubled or tripled. So, but you know, I've got a nice collection. I think it's a nice collection. So mm-hmm. yeah, so the 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 rate of acquisition 
is a function of your uh, disposable income, I think, really. Mm-hmm. But and the passion I- may not wane, sorry. Mm. Um, well, just following up on that, like, I just wanted to ask, like, what still excites you now? Because at this point, I mean, you've seen yeah, everything I dream about watches of finding watches. And, and one of the reasons I spend so much time on Instagram is it's been okay, meeting different people, attaining further knowledge, sharing knowledge. That's the amazing part. And also I dream every morning and in that inbox, private message that someone's going to say, oh, look, I've got I've got this. Would you be interested? So that's got to be. I wake up to that. That's a big, exciting, exciting moment every morning. Have you actually bought from someone who reached out to you via private? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's great. And from all all parts of the world, there's a lot of trust involved, and and also you you become a little savvy in terms of making judgments and stuff and quality and stuff. But yeah very much so Mm, that's great that's great um i wanted to ask like you know for someone because on our podcast we actually have a lot of young listeners who are Mm -hmm. just getting into the hobby and i would say you know while most people are interested in mostly modern pieces but given the crazy crazy amounts that modern Uh, watches are demanding these days a lot of people are looking at vintage and for good reason I would say what would your some of your advice be for you know young audiences who are looking into perhaps exploring the realm of vintage watches I I think only venture only go on that journey if it calls you and when you know and if it progressively leads you to that stage I don't think it's something that you know because someone said look into vintage watch go and look into I think it's a minefield Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of, uh, you know, w- w- and then what is a vintage watch at what stage? If a replacement dial, the condition, uh, it's not like going into a shop and buying something. So I think you need to be thorough in terms of your knowledge and research. And, and the beauty, I think, of something like Instagram is most collectors are very helpful and they will help you if you mm-hmm. ask some questions before making a decision. Um, but but to to whether to go into vintage or not, I think that should come from within. And when it does come, um, you know, be be discerning, and you know, further your knowledge before making the plunge in anything. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's not. I don't think it's a lot of young people. I understand that it's not the calling for them, mm-hmm. uh, and I understand why. I, it, 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 it's something that which will come. If it's going to come, it'll come naturally. Don't sort of bring it upon yourself. Mm, okay, so you guys heard it there. And just off the top of my head, would you consider like, I don't know, the 3940 or actually the 3970 to be vintage or would you consider them to be? I, I, yeah, in my mind, so in terms of the Philip range, it's strange. Like 10 years ago, I knew every reference. Uh, not the modern ones I could really but now sort of as I get older I can't remember things but so for me it ended the era ended with the 3970 3940 uh, and the 5004 and then then after yeah there were one or two pieces so I see this sort of so I have I've I've got I'm blessed to have you know the 3940 and I'd love the repeater the 3974 and that would make my pack of cards but there's no way I can afford that in this lifetime unless I go to Vegas or <laughs> I win the lottery. So I'll be content with, with what I have. <laughs> we'll see Roni um, like next week in Vegas at a table, black dark tables. <laughs> 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 what are you doing? I told you I need to go to Vegas. <laughs> what, what, what attracts you about the 3974? Uh, everything. It's uh, It epitomizes what Philippe stands for to me and it's it's in terms of the complication to be a minute repeater is you know it's 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 a some very i mean there's some complication like the chronograph i see no value i I don't like it because it has it just for me in africa everything's like late and they keep everyone keeps saying be patient so i've said this story i mean you may have read it is that (laughs) they're waiting at an office of a minister or something who's late for five hours ten hours 
And all you do is look at your clock. When's this man going to come? And you keep pressing your chronograph button. That's the only use I think you can have for a chronograph. <laughs> How long does people take? <laughs> but all right, what use is something like it? I don't understand. So uh, it's not, anyway, seriously, it's, it's not, anyway, horses to courses, but it's not a chronograph. Not, I don't like, and I see no value to yeah, but minute repeaters, on the other hand, you can just play that button yeah, all over. Imagine you'd be sitting in that, yeah, just in that <laughs> in your secretary's little office, and you have the soldiers with the dark glass, and you can go ping ping. <laughs> 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 well, Elise says I want it, and you have to take it off your wrist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, well. If you need help booking tickets to Vegas or or, or something, like I'm sure you know. <laughs> Don't don't say it too early. I'm sure you know because you have the 3940. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I even go and pray every morning for yeah. not to watch, but I should yeah. bring that in. Yeah, if you could find, I, and I don't know if this exists, but you know, I, I from what I've read about the 3974, uh, um, they made the standard dial variations, which you know reminisces of the 3940. But then they also made some. Yeah, the, the, the highlight would be a black dial breguet now, so it matches. Oh, ah, really? Four, yeah. So that, I was gonna say fun. maybe a yellow gold one with a champagne dial because that matches your thirty nine forty and also your thirty nine seventy. Oh, yeah. It's all dream stuff, so it's, <laughs> it's whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna come, but yeah, but yeah, I was reading. I mean, from the time of this recording, you know, yesterday, a collected man released the article, which you know they quoted you on the 3970 and then you 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 said that you actually found the Michael Ovitz one uh sealed and then when you bought it you just cut it well, up that's what it's for isn't it I don't know what's the <laughs> point keeping it in the seal yeah yeah well, I have uh, to sell many watches for that so there's a story in that so I think there's about four watches I parted with it was at a watch show and I bought it from none other than Bob Marin uh, the Ovitz, you 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 sold yeah. for watches for the Ovitz. Uh, yeah. Um, so one of the ones I sold was the regulator. It had just come out, and there was a waiting list, and uh, you know I was one of the chosen few who mm. was given the blessed to buy it. Mm. So of course I I needed to sell stuff, so I sold it, and I got you know it, I sold it. I part exchanged it, and then two years later I walk into Palafilim and they says we're annoyed with you. I said hmm? what's happened. They said, oh, you've sold one of the watches you were given. I said, which one? And this is two years later. Um, so they wow. said, uh, the regulator. And I said, well, I, and after I did that purchase, I had sent, I had the sort of foresight to send an email saying that, look, I'm going to, I've sold it, but I bought one of your own because, you know, vintage means more to me. And 3970 was my dream. I had a normal one. I had to part exchange that as well. Uh, for that Ovitz one. But the fact that I'd sent an email, I was let off the hook. Otherwise, I would have been excommunicated <laughs> and high and dry. So. Yeah. Which which one came first? Was it your unique 5004 or the 3970? Uh, the unique 5004. So for that, I went, again, Palafilic took me to to the manufacturer and on the way back, you know, we all, everyone makes banter. And I said, well, my dream watch would be a black dial, breguet numbers. Um, and Ed Butland, who is the director for the UK, um, he said, leave it with me, Ronnie, and I'll see. And then two years later, uh, he said, I've got some news for you. And then, uh, so I got that and my, uh, what is it, the world, in that world, I forget the number, the, the world time enamel dial. So both came at the same time. And I said, shit, where am I going to pay for these two watches? So much. I, yeah, I, I, seriously, I said, I'm going to mortgage my house or what? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say that. So, anyway, <laughs> so I broke into my, my entire savings and uh, paid for those two watches. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very valid point you raised, though, because now when you get watches, even modern pieces, you don't know when they're going to come. Right. It's not like mm -hmm. they tell you, you know, and then yeah, if you you've just, just bought you, a piece. You, no, you just get that phone call and <laughs> then you have you, you know, your clock's ticking. Uh, yeah. Interested, you know. Yeah. Yeah. OK, I want to ask one last question before we move on to the, the quick fire, I guess, which is 
um, I want to okay. ask like just very, very briefly, and this is kind of like something that I've always wanted uh, to ask, which is you're currently doing uh, an exec- ex- execution of like kind of a non, like your own watch, the jump hour. I, I don't know the name, but it was inspired by the pocket watch, the jump hour with the- It's, it's, uh, it's called a wandering hour where the-, the Yeah. From a Brego uh, designed by a guy called Cart. I forgot his first name, C-A-R-T. Right. Right. Um, yeah, so I'm working. So how's with, that going? Uh, That's my question. Uh, it's two. It's a year and a half late. Uh, I, I WhatsApp him every week saying what's happened. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I'm from Africa. I'm patient. And <laughs> 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 anyone else would have said uh, we'd, we've had enough. Um, but you know, everyone was saying, "Oh, well, would you know if it's it looks really good? Would you do it commercially?" And the answer is no. I wouldn't want to put anyone else through it. <gasps> Yeah. Imagine, imagine having taken them put some money in advance. Oh my God, I'd be slashing my wrists in fear of walking out of meeting anyone who had paid in advance. Yeah, and they're probably not as patient as you because you're from Africa. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, uh, let's quickly move on to the quick fire questions, which you know um, are are ten questions that we came up with. Which is, <clears throat> are you ready? And just just uh, the first thing that comes off. The, the top of your head okay uh next travel destination uh back home to uganda oh time. oh really what is it planned or do you have any no it's it's part of the going home kind of thing mm-hmm. i'll be there for a few weeks then i go again start traveling so mm-hmm. that's nice um how and how do you pick and choose your straps because you're kind of famous for your strap pairings on instagram okay, I, uh, my preference i feel what goes looks best on vintage is is unstitched unpadded and matte finish uh, mm. and croc and croc blacks and browns with a lot of texture as possible that's my criteria um the guy i use is uh in in vietnam it's i mentioned him uh, lots of times he's really good i think i've got him like over 500 customers he gives me free straps even these days he's reduced the price but he charges a hundred dollars takes one week to make and you can go to these fancy ateliers or whatever you could call themselves in europe who make you wait for two months three months yeah. charge you 300 euro but this guy's really good how did you get him to make your crash uh, strap because that no, takes I, I, really specific I, measurement no, uh, the crash I've always got from Cartier. So before, when I, before getting delivery of the watch, I said I would like uh, an unstitched, unpadded matte finish. So specify that. I mean, if they're selling you a big, well, they all run around to get you one little measly strap the right way. So don't be shy to ask what right. you want from the right. manufacturer. Right. Um, must visit place when, if any of us go to Africa. Uganda, we have the gorillas, we're so green, the weather's beautiful, we're on the equator, uh, it's unspoiled, it's, it's uncommercialized sort of safaris. Anyone interested, reach out to me. Uh, <laughs> it's a great place. Yeah. Uh, favorite safari animal? Um, probably gorilla. Gorilla? Or gorilla and elephant, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love elephants. Um, the last movie that you've watched... Oh, during this, I don't really watch TV, to be honest. Um, mm. I was forced to kind of watch it during lockdowns, but I can't even remember the names of any of them. Like, <laughs> Fair, <laughs> because yeah. they essentially, literally, I just watched them. Yeah. And if you ask me next day, I can't remember. I don't know any of the actors. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just useless. You know, I have the news on more, uh, more than uh, watching yeah. movies. Yeah. Uh, your favorite meal? Um, I love spicy food. Um, so I love Thai food, Indian food, uh, parts of Chinese food, um, anything spicy I love. But I also love fried food, like fried chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, Who doesn't? Fish and chips. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, how... I don't like fancy restaurants. So if someone wants to take me out, take me to sort of good food. That means more to me. Like like uh, more like traditional like uh, cuisines and and authentic- yeah, well, well it doesn't have to be a fancy posh restaurant to try and impress. I'd rather go where the food's good. Mm-hmm. Um, you collect a lot of art and and, and tribal um, art uh, 
you know, items. Um, where do you find like your inspiration normally? And this could be anything, like not just in watches, but just inspiration in, in life. Like, do you get inspired by art, or do you get more inspired I, by? I, I, I think be- beauty in it, in whatever form appeals and talks to you. Mm. Um, so you know, I love Art Deco, but pure Art Deco is difficult to live with. Um, so there's elements of Art Deco are blended with sort of modern modernity uh, makes it a softer art deco for example that's how in terms of furnishings and stuff um yeah so it's it's such a personal thing i don't think there's a particular genre i'd say you know falls in i mean you know if it's art i remember we there used to be a time when i'd travel wherever i'd go i'd try and pick up a painting as a memento of where i've been and they weren't necessarily you know they were five hundred dollars or thousand dollars or something but that was, but then I sort of outgrew that, and I thought, well, I've gathered a whole lot of junk. Uh, you know, is that appropriate? But yeah, you know, I, I think art is something that talks to you on an individual level, and if it does, go for it. Hmm. Um, and last question, which is, you know, sometimes I have a good laugh just looking at your stories from your replies to people sending you DMs. Um, if you had to pick, like, what's the, aside from the how much, the for sale, like, what's, like, the funniest DM that you've received or, like, the the, the DM that, like, made you roll your eyes the most? Oh, my gosh, I get so many every day, and I try and answer them, so I just feel that... I know, you try um, and you try to answer them, that's I, the I thing. Do answer, I, I do answer all, <laughs> because I think if someone's taken the time to write to you, they, should, <laughs> um, they deserve to be written back, but the dumb ones, oh, I'm good, I think. Um, oh, they, you get all these sort of ones from females from all over the world, and then they start off, uh, obviously, I know this high, high... Uh, do you what do you collect? And I thought, well, I said, look at the page. <laughs> so sometimes I've written ornamental ducks, but then by the second line, I thought, what am I doing? I'm being stupid, block and delete. <laughs> That's funny. What do you collect? <laughs> how how many how many for sale messages do you think you receive in like a day? <laughs> Uh, this is less it comes by season and what what the item is actually mm. um but at least two or three a day <laughs> mm. that's that's what again Roni's very patient so if any of you guys are listening feel free to send him a message and ask how much his watches are <laughs> <laughs> he'll, res- he'll respond he'll respond <laughs> <laughs> okay guys uh that's the end of the episode thank you so much uh roni for for sitting down an hour with us it's been an absolute blast and mm-hmm. uh for those of you guys listening uh please follow him at uh, on his uh, instagram account and check out you know all the interviews that he's done he's done with you know hodinky revolution um so feel free to check those out um and stay tuned for the next episode thank you thank, thank you, you so much bye. thanks for having me bye guys bye as always, thank you for listening to the waiting list podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the waiting list podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.